Hey friends, welcome to the Cultivate Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Robinson, and I want to invite you to come alongside me as we hear stories, gain wisdom, and even some helpful tools from some of my friends. These are people who have experienced challenging seasons of life that have tested their faith. We can all learn from those who've dug those deep trenches and have found their way to the other side of hopelessness. So let's start digging together and cultivate hope. Hey friends, today's topic has become one of the most taboo topics in today's Christian culture. It has been the title of many Christian and non-Christian articles. While it has been known to tear churches and relationships apart with split opinions, today we're hoping to remove that veil. We're going to challenge some preconceived ideas as well as some misunderstandings surrounding this process. We're also going to shed light on the simple beauty at its core. Walking us through her own journey through deconstruction, our guest today has gained quite a following on social media and garnered attention from many walking the same road as well as others who may not understand it. Today, she is going to share her story, which holds a perspective that you may not have heard yet. So I ask that you keep her heart and ears open as we honor her experience and learn more about this concept together. So please join me in welcoming my friend, Savannah Locke. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited you're here. This is going to be such a great conversation. I've been looking forward to this myself as somebody who feels like I've walked through deconstruction in the past couple of years as well. So I'm excited to hear your journey. Honestly, deconstruction, like we talked about before, is something that's so personal and so intimate and can be private for people. But the fact that you were so vocal about it and so honest, I think it's going to be really refreshing and encouraging for a lot of people who don't even know necessarily that that's what they're doing or what to call this seasonal reevaluation of their faith, whatever that looks like. So I'm really excited to have you. But I want to start off with the very first question that we ask every single guest on the show, which is... Savannah, what is your definition of hope? Just in your own words. I love that, that that's the first question that you start with. And when I read that question, when you, when you had sent me the email, I thought, how on earth do you capture such a big concept? And about for, some reason, I, <laughs> for, real, for some reason, I went back to something that I had learned in undergraduate school about um, how Jewish people, when they would bury their dead, that was actually kind of something that set them apart from the rest of outside nations because a lot of people would cremate their dead, right? right. So for Jewish people, they would bury their dead as a sign that they believed that they would be resurrected mm -hmm. in the time to come. And I thought about that. And of course, like, I'm not making any statement on like cremation or something. It's just yeah. about the symbol, the symbol of it. Sure. And that's what I thought of when it came to hope is this mm -hmm. idea of like posturing oneself in a way that is preparing for resurrection. Oh, and that's good. I think about that, not just in death to bury as a whole body to prepare for a coming resurrection, but just to constantly posture ourselves in a way that prepares for life and prepares for God meeting us and prepares for goodness and resurrection and promise and love and hope. And so that to me is what hope is. It's a, it's more of a posture than maybe a thought or a belief. 
Oh, I love that. That's a new one. That's a totally different take than I've had yet from anybody that's been on here. So I love that when someone gives me something fresh, I'm like, oh, awesome. Resurrection. Yeah. That goes along with the theme today, I feel like in a lot of ways. So Savannah, you've gone through this whole deconstruction process very publicly and written about it and had a lot of conversations about it with people you know and people you don't. So how has hope played a role in that whole journey, just kind of high level for you? Yeah. I mean, deconstruction is so disorienting. It can feel very hopeless. So for me, especially once I was able to name what I was experiencing, this was maybe five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, I told this story a million times before, but the first time I was able to name it was when I was in Italy with my husband, we were falling asleep and there were fireworks, um, nearby in a town for some celebration they were having. And I felt so anxious because I heard the fireworks and I thought that it was gunshots. Like my oh. mind was on such high alert that yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, there are people with guns and they're shooting. And I was just so stressed out intense mm -hmm. because leading up to this, I had been experiencing a lot of unraveling of my faith. Right. So I was laying in bed, this was all happening and it just hit me. Like what I'm experiencing right now is a complete unraveling of everything I've ever known to be true. Wow. And it was the first time I was able to name and admit that I didn't think any of it was real anymore. Like wow. I had so much fear and so much stress and so much anxiety, but then also this strange freedom that came along with being able to just name and admit yeah. that this thing, this structure that was working for me, wasn't working for me anymore. And yeah. I just kind of had to sit in the death of that. Like I was just wow. in the death of that, that night. And for me, there was not a lot of hope in that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it, there, of course not. Was, it was a dying. And I think we want to, a lot of the times I've noticed, especially in Christian culture, but maybe outside of Christian culture, we want to skip by that death. Like yes. I see this all the time. This will be my everlasting song around Easter. When I see on Good Friday, like hope is coming or like the resurrection is coming. It's like, no, sit in the death. Like yes. sit in the death of this. Grieve. You have Do to grieve. Yes, exactly. And I think for me, like with that, like ten tendency that I feel and others feel, I think to skip by that. Yes. I also want to say like, no, deconstruction is a death. And the quicker you just get in there and sit in the death, yeah. like then you're going to be able to experience the life that like you're like craving and longing for, but there is like a death that comes with it. So that wow. is kind of like where the hope is for me is kind of embracing the reality of the dying. And, wow. you know, it's the most Enneagram four thing ever, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love to know what Enneagram you are. That is so helpful. That helps <laughs> us understand you a little better. I love that. Yeah. No, that's so interesting that you talk about it being a death and that we need to grieve that because in order, you're right, in order to have true free, like real freedom, not just this idea of freedom, not just temporary happiness, not just this like, oh yeah, I have the joy of the Lord. Well, what do you really, do you have to muster it up when you go out or are you bubbling over? Like, is it overflow or is it like something you have to like put on? Mm -hmm. And I struggle with that a lot, you know, and, and when I was going through the same thing and I feel like you're so right. You have to, in order to have true joy, you have to know true grief. Like mm -hmm. you just have to get to the bottom in order to get to the top. It's like that same concept of like, in order for there to be a greatest good, there's gotta be a greatest evil. Like they, they have to be equal and op opposite, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, really important. Uh, so tell me when you started to go through this and you started to recognize like, okay, I 
don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I actually think I don't. Everything is unraveled. Everything's in pieces. And I don't even know where to tie the first string. Yeah. Like when you're at that space, did you know the phrase deconstruction or did you start doing that before you even kind of knew this concept? Because it's really popular right now. Like this is like really culturally accepted and celebrated and it's part of regular conversation now in churches, even outside of churches, um, whether it's you're deconstructing your religious construct or you're deconstructing your tradition construct or your family construct or whatever kind of construct that you feel has been suffocating you in some way, shape or form or off. Yeah. Did you know that that was happening or did you know what to call it? I don't, I I think that I was at the outside of the skirts of where people were talking about deconstruction at that point in my life. Like we were still pretty, Todd and I, my husband were pretty inundated in like a church culture that maybe that wasn't talked about or as accepted. Um, So no, I don't think I had a word for that, but after I kind of gave way to the reality and admitted that I didn't believe at least there was a season where I didn't believe in any of it, but then where I started to kind of reintroduce the idea of like Christianity and Jesus and just trying to like put the pieces back together. I think that's when I started realizing, um, that this was a whole movement that was happening. And I also started realizing that that there was a lot of stigma around the movement where people kind of looked at it and they were like, well, like, I don't know, like, I'm sure you've heard it, but like people say like deconstruction sexy or and I was like, oh, what I just did for the past three years was like the least sexy experience of my life. It's so painful and so isolating and lonely and hurtful and full of anger and grief. And so I think I started realizing too, how much criticism there was of this thing that is like incredibly painful. So I think that's why, to your point, when you um, expressed that I had been vocal about stuff, that's when I started vocalizing it was when I realized, oh, a lot of people are going through this in secret yes, because they think that what they're doing makes them a heretic or an apostate or unlovable. And I, because of my experience where I realized, oh no, like this is just a part, like look at the story of the prodigal son. Like to me, that if that was in modern times, that is a massive deconstruction. Like it is. That is, and God's heart was, was towards him and God's posture was for that son the entire time. And and I often think about this too. Like, we don't know what the eldest son did in this like fictional parable, but I often think about like, if this was a movie, like the way that I would end that movie is the last scene being the elder son leaving home. Because oh, I think yeah. the elder son needed to also deconstruct. But anyways, that's a whole I thing. agree. Oh my gosh, I yeah. totally agree. There was a lot going on there. Yeah. However, all of that to say, like, I, I didn't have a name for it. I did realize the stigma pretty quickly. And that is why I started talking a lot about it was just because I knew that I wasn't like anti-God. Like I knew no. that. And I knew the whole time I was searching and that I, I, I wanted truth. And I was definitely very misunderstood. Like yeah. some of my close friends at the time, like warned me about like how I would be going to hell and how like I stopped going to church. Like I was forsaking the believers and I was losing my pastoral covering and all this. There was just not a lot of understanding or empathy 
around the reality that like the questions I were asking were really good questions. Yeah. <laughs> like I had a lot of great questions that no one had adequate answers for. And I had a lot of like real pain that no one should have been making excuses about. Right. And so I think that there was a lot of like un- misunderstood grief. And that's why I started speaking out loud. And hopefully that's what this whole podcast will do for people is just wow. make you realize like, you're not like a psychopath for asking questions. There are a lot of things to ask really, really serious questions about. Yeah. And I feel like too, you know, deconstruction is not, it's not a dirty word. It's not, I think we, it gets that stigma. Like you're talking about that it's a dirty word in church because it's something that they're thinking deconstruction is almost like disconnection. Like it takes you away from God when I'm like, no, but actually in scripture, if you actually look at scripture, look at David, look at lamentations, look at the Psalms, look at all of this. Like I feel like he could deconstruct it every five minutes, you know, like he was constantly questioning, like, God, where are you? Like, what's going on? And then he go back and be like, oh, okay. It was this constant flip-flop. And I feel like we hear through scripture that like our heart is fickle and stuff like mine is, I can be that way every day of my life. Like one day I feel really hopeless. And the next day I have a lot of hope. Like, I don't know. We have to wrestle with this idea of like, If God is truly God and there really is a God, can he, of course he can handle these questions. He should expect these questions because if we're limited and he's not, we're going to have things we don't understand. We're going to have things that are going to confuse us and are going to be honestly, some of them unanswerable. So if we're not wrestling with that, are we really pursuing God or are we stuck in a construct? Right. And I think that's, that's the starting place that a lot of people start at is like, can I even, can I question this? Can right. I doubt? Is that okay? Is that accepted? Right. Does God still accept me with my doubts? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think there are a lot of like fence posts around people feeling that they can actually ask questions. So if, like, even when you hear, like, am I allowed to doubt? Every single person sitting in church right now would say, yeah, of course. But what that actually means in practice is something different than like the blanket, like God loves people like who ask questions and who doubt. But when you actually get into the nitty gritty of people asking real questions, like for me, a lot of my deconstruction was around um, like violence. And a lot of my deconstruction was around like the sexual abuse stuff happening in the church. Yeah because obviously that's part of my story. And then just kind of seeing it play out with the church to stuff and the me too stuff. I, I was just very flabbergasted by how that has just generally been handled. Right. And, and, and I noticed that like, yes, most people will say, you can ask any question you want. And like, God's not afraid of your questions. But then the minute you say like, well, why are you upholding that pastor who set, who sexually abused all of these people yes. or who covered up then, then you start to notice, no, there are fence posts around this. And it's not to say like boundaries are good. Boundaries yeah. keep people safe and, and that matters 1000%. And people should be able to, in, in the safety of community, without the fear of judgment, ask serious questions. And so I think yes. that there is like a tension there that is like important to recognize. Yeah. But I also think that when when we hear people say, or when we say ourselves, yeah, ask questions. Oh my gosh, no problem that we need to be able to put our money where our mouth is and really get an attention of those things too. Yeah. And it's okay. I think people need this permission too, is it's okay on both sides. If you're someone who is deconstructing and you have questions and you have doubts, 
as well as if you're somebody who's not deconstructing and you're not in that place right now and you feel pretty solid and you you're you just feel like you have a lot of hope and you're there and you're friends with somebody who's in that opposite space you can sit with them yeah. and to the person who's not doubting you can still sit with that person who is doubting listen to their questions and you don't have to have answers and it doesn't make you less and it doesn't make that person who's deconstructing deconstructing necessarily judge you just because you're sitting in that place and you're in different spaces doesn't mean that you can't coexist and that you can't support each other if you're not deconstructing and you feel really solid and you are like i believe that this works like i believe prayer works i believe god works pray for that person you don't have to do it in their presence go pray for them in secret go do what you believe and let them do what they believe and then if you believe that god is god let god do the work right. trust god if you actually trust god trust god and if you're in a place where you are doubting and you are like this makes me uncomfortable like i don't know if i can trust my friends who are because i know that side too i don't know if i can trust my friends with these questions because i'm afraid they're going to judge me or they're going to condemn me give them a chance give them yeah. a chance to be there for you and if not set healthy boundaries you can always do that for yourself and that's important too is when you're going through something that's so deep it's just like you talked about with like the death of someone if I were to lose somebody close to me, I'm going to have boundaries around certain ways that I interact with people like, hey, I need some space to grieve or hey, um, when you're around me, I don't necessarily want to talk about this today because it's too heavy or hey, I, I want to talk to here, but this is my this is as far as I want to go with it because that's all I'm comfortable with. You have to treat it like that. It's that sensitive, you know? Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think in treating it as a, as like a death and a dying and trusting there's this, um, this church that my husband and I went to one of their pillars or whatever, I don't know, like their core beliefs oh, yeah. was I trust God in you. Meaning like, it is not my responsibility to play the Holy spirit in your life. I can trust that God is working in you. Yes. And for someone who like right now, like I'm not deconstructing. Right. So yeah. I at all. And so I, or awesome. not at all, like I'm kind of always sure. asking questions, but I am not in that like more dysregulated untangling space. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of friends who are asking very serious questions and they, they are deconstructing in ways that actually weren't the same as me. And they're mm -hmm. landing in places that are not the same as where I landed because everyone's kind of process is so different. Yeah. And I've noticed in myself the tendency to want to go in and control where they go. Right. That's so I'm the word. Like, all about control, which this is true of anyone that we love or that's in our circle that is in pain or discomfort it makes us uncomfortable and we want to fix it as fast as possible to yes. ease our own discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I, for many years, obviously while I was deconstructing was the one asking questions that was poking holes in other people's worldviews. And a lot of people just didn't have the space to handle that. And so they just wanted to shut it down. Mm -hmm. And now being on the opposite end of things where I I'm just kind of living my life right now. And a lot of my friends are deconstructing. I'm noticing in myself that, uh, that discomfort. And I yeah. have to name that and say, Hey, it's not, you did not want to be controlled yeah. and it's not your job to control. Like my, my job now on this end of things is yeah. my job from where I am right now is to be in solidarity with people who are yes. grieving their faith and who are grieving what they always knew Mm -hmm. and to walk with people without controlling them. Well, there's this other side to it too, that it's like, 
I know to, like, I know what that's like as well, being on the other side, as far as, yes, there's this element of control. And there's also this element of like, I love you so much. I know that pain. And if I can help you get through that pain faster, because I feel like I found the answer, you know, and a lot of people feel that way. And they're like, I, I feel like this is love, but they can put the control on the love and love is selfless. It's not, you know, the selflessness of that is letting them go through it and selflessness with God. Like, yes. God, I, I'm, I'm going to trust you and be humble and know that you're going to take care of it because I have found that trust in you. And yeah, I think that's just, it's, that is one of the most difficult pieces of this whole thing is letting go of control. Because when someone's going through deconstruction, a lot of those structural constructs they're trying to deconstruct and get away from the root of those is usually control. Mm. They're trying because they're trying to find true freedom because this entire, you know, base of our belief system is freedom in Christ. Well, why don't I feel free? And then that's why, why doesn't this place feel free? Why don't I feel free? Why am I not free to ask questions? Why does this not feel comfortable? And freedom should feel like, you know, uninhibited, right? And so then you start asking the questions and deconstructing, deconstructing, and then it feels unsafe when the people who are supposed to support you and love you are now trying to control that situation. Right. Yeah, there's a lot, a, a lot of just interpersonal dynamics Yes, that are outside of like theology or hell or whatever. Like it's like the interpersonal dynamics which also yeah. play such a massive role in deconstruction that a lot of people maybe haven't haven't been able to name before right and just to go back to like the binary of deconstructing versus not deconstructing yeah like to me it also operates like a spiral like yes I fully anticipate that for the rest of my life I will have more seasons where I'm deconstructing mm -hmm. and I'm not afraid of that anymore because I feel like the first one hopefully is the hardest the yep. first cut is the deepest like Shania oh yes that was That's a jam talking about deconstruction who would have known I know but when I think about time. that, my, one of my mentors for school, he's like in his like seventies or sixties now he's amazing. A pastor. So incredible. And he talked about the first time he deconstructed when he was like in his twenties. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, I've noticed every like 10 years, like mm -hmm. it will all kind of crumble again. And then he said wow. the way that it gets put back together, like is it becomes less and less essential, meaning wow. there are less things that feel essential outside of like Jesus, for example. Wow. So for him, he was like, it feels like a bullseye target that like the, the target keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So that if I keep on hitting, living my life in a way that is molded into the person of Christ, then everything else feels less essential. I don't know if that's like a helpful visual too, of like recognizing that like, this yeah. isn't like a one and done. Oh, you deconstructed, you did it. Like, congratulations. But then yeah. realizing like, no, this is like a lifetime of shaving away everything that is not conforming to Christ and Christ's kingdom. Um, wow. And just seeing it as like a bullseye target, like getting smaller and smaller and smaller towards the, towards the center. Wow. That is, that's so wise. And you know, one of the things that my husband and I were actually talking about this, like the other day, because <laughs> we're about to hit 10 years in our marriage, which is super exciting and fun, but being married, you probably know this too. It feels very similar to marriage, like marriage can be a construct depending on kind of your view of it and how, how you've experienced it and how you've seen it for my husband and I, we've noticed, you know, every couple years we have to deconstruct our marriage because the old 
wineskins aren't working anymore. We need a freaking new wineskin. Like, yeah, we're trying to pour new wine into an old wineskin, but the old wineskin is worn out and we're different and we change. And while our love is the same, we love the same person and the person's the same, we change as people. And I think the same is to be said if our relationship with God is to be seen as a merit. Covenant marriage is the same thing. It's the closest thing to covenant that we'll ever experience is with God, we change constantly still. He doesn't. His love never changes. It's always there, but we change. And so we're constantly having to rediscover like, okay, how do I relate to this God? How does he relate to me? How, you know, how can I connect with him in this season? And it may look different than the last season because for me, gosh, the way I relate to God has changed so much over generations. And I used to think people talk about their different ways of like how their worship, like I, at one season, I was a water worshiper. Like I just like really worshiped really well in water, like bath time, showers, like whatever. If I'm at the beach, like I'm just, I really connect with God there. Well, now that's changed a little bit. I'm, I'm like more like I need to be in a solid quiet space in an empty room with no children around. And you know, like, it's just different. And I think we need to carry that same idea into our, our spiritual life and say, Hey, like it's okay. And it's actually really super healthy to ask questions and to allow things to fall off to, like you said, a shaving to fall off because you can never have anything new and it will never feel fresh. How do you keep any relationship alive? If you don't allow the dead skin to flake off, like it will never be healthy. <laughs> the dead, the dead I don't know why you know what because when you said shave off I don't know why I was looking in my mind I saw and this is just my mind yes I saw dermaplaning and I was like skin flaking off okay well that makes sense because in order to have like fresh new skin and in order for the the lotion to even soak in you can't put it on dead skin like it needs to be on fresh skin or else you're not even getting moisturized the moisturizer is going to be on dead skin So that makes all the sense in the world to me. But my question to you is how, how does one, once you recognize, okay, I'm in this space, everything is falling apart. I have all these puzzle pieces, all these untied strings. How do you even, how did you begin to start tying the first string? Well, because mine was so specifically about violence and the sexual abuse stuff. Mm -hmm. I kind of just pointed my like ears in both of those directions and just started reading and learning from people who had different viewpoints um, than what I had grown up with or inherited. So my recommendation though, like if, if you were in a space that you're like, Hey, the whole thread of this thing has been pulled. I don't know what to do with the Bible. Like I can't even look at the Bible. I can't even think about listening to another pastor, you know, with like leather pants and like a brim hat preach. Like I can't even think about it. (laughs) Like, first of all, you are so normal, Mm -hmm. so normal. And there is no pressure to go at anyone else's pace. Like I, I just remember I was walking around uh, this lake called Radnor Lake in Brentwood. And I just remember sobbing and apologizing to God and saying like, I'm so sorry, this is taking so long and that I don't know the next step to take. Mm -hmm. And I remember like feeling just this whisper in my heart saying like, I'm with you and take all the time you need. I'm with you and take all the time you need. So for me, like I, that message was so healing. And for anyone else who's experiencing that and just saying like, well, what direction do I go and where do I walk? 
like the first place to walk is just with God. <laughs> like, yeah. Just notice the Holy Spirit at work anywhere you go and not necessarily in a way that you grew up being taught yes. that it would look, but go, go to a park and listen for the Holy Spirit in like mm-hmm. in the birds and listen for the Holy Spirit in the way um, a parent is talking to their child. And mm-hmm. Like one of my most impactful moments, seriously, was this mom talking to her kid at a coffee shop and just listening to the way that she was parenting him. It it like reworked something in me about like God as parent. Wow. And so there, like when I think about this, it, it probably feels so broad. So I'll try to get more specific. But the first thing I think would just be to pay attention to the presence of God in your life because it's everywhere. Like I, I promise you it's everywhere. So that's the first thing. The second thing is just get around people who don't talk and act and think the same way that you grew up with, like expose yourself to people outside of that, that framework. And so Mm -hmm. like someone who was very helpful for me, who I referenced earlier, um, my mentor at school, his name is Greg Boyd. And he's a pastor. You can literally look up his sermons on YouTube, but he's not like the leather jeans brim pastor. He's like in his like 60s, like has ADD, is on the spectrum, like amazing, brilliant, went to Princeton and just like not cool at all, at all. Wow. He plays drums and he's just amazing. I love it. Listening to him talk about God, it saved me from from just giving way to total despair. So like find someone like Greg Boyd or whoever else in the world you, you know, can listen to you. Like I, I, you can go on Apple podcasts, I'm sure, and find a ton of people. So exposing yourself to people outside of that. And then the last thing is, and this is probably the first thing is find a community of people who are going to be with you in it because deconstruction is something that only you and the Holy spirit can do, but you're not meant to do it alone. So no one can do this work for you. You have to do the work, but you don't have to do the work alone. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there. And I know a lot of people are like online community. Isn't the same thing as regular people, but like nowadays I really feel, yes, I really feel like online community can be mm-hmm. so helpful for people. Oh, it's incredible. For deconstructing. Yes. And it's so incredible. I think those three things. So pay attention to the presence of God in your life, expose yourself to people outside of your framework, and then find people in a community. I mean, maybe ideally in real life, but if you can't find them online and just start yeah. to connect and talk and ask questions. I absolutely agree with that. That's cool. incredibly vital in this process. Cause I, I remember when I was going through my deconstruction phase, I, I really wanted people around, but it was hard because I was like, but I can't be in the same space as I was in. So the tension that I felt, and I think the tension a lot of people feel is like, can I still participate in Christian culture that I, with people I love who do those things without being all bought in? Can I still do that? Yeah. Why not? Like, you know, I was still meeting, you know, with a lot of people that were in leadership at the pre-church that I was in, I had to step back from the church. I had to, you know, I was a worship leader. I had to step down. I was like, I had some stuff to sort through. And we were out of church for two years, two and a half years, something crazy like that. Like just trying to figure out like, God, what are you, if you're in charge here mm-hmm. and this is your whole thing, what are you saying? Because no one sounds like you right now. Right. For, in my, you know, like to me. 
And so for me, especially having children too, I'm like, what do I tell them? What do I say to their level? Like, I need to know the basics. I need to break this down to the absolute nitty gritty, the absolute root, which for me, when I did, I know a lot of people come to different, you know, places, but for me, that was like, I need an experience with Jesus. I need God. I need to experience you. I don't need to experience a church. I don't need to have like a heightened emotional experience. I do not need to have an experience and I need an experience that I can't deny with you that I can hang on to. And sometimes I think, honestly, we just get so distracted. And I think the constructs are built around that. Cause I think everybody, like if you talk to a lot of pastors and you talk to people in faith, they'll tell you that they'll be like, Oh yeah, of course. Like, and it, that's what we want. We're trying to give you a place, like a meeting place for an experience. Okay. Well, it's become so much more than that. And it's almost become, it feels like a cage around the presence of God instead of a place, an opportunity for meeting, you know, it's more like we're caging you in here and it has to be this way and it has to look like this. And, you know, you have to experience him this way and you can't question him like this. And so for me, I had to get out of all of it. I was like, I need, I need to be alone. I need to be out of it. I can't be connected to this. I can't be doing that. Things I loved things I love doing. I love the doing, but I wasn't being, I didn't know what it was to be. I was like, I'd lost that. And it's not that I hadn't experienced that in growing up. Like, I feel like there were times growing up cause I grew up in church and grew up in faith. And when you're a kid, you don't have so many filters and you don't have so much, you know, jadedness. You're just kind of like, okay, God, like, who are you? I'm here. Who are you? I'm just gonna be playing. Like, and I feel like I had these interruptions with the Lord where he just kind of joined me in my play. And it felt very real and very simple. And then we've complicated it to this point where we have all these monuments and constructs and crazy things built around it and all these checklists of like a good Christian does all these things. And to be a Christian, like, oh, you haven't read your Bible and you know, how long you, well, oh, that's not good for your faith. Well, is it though? Is it really not good for my faith? But I'm talking to like, he still talks to me. I hear him. I experience him. I'm aware. Like I, I, you know, anyways, yeah, the crystallizations of those things, like the rigidity, I think is what a lot of people are sensing as like a millstone. I I think people are sensing these things that are intended to be gifts were like something like the Bible. Like I, I, my relationship with the Bible now is far more vibrant than it's ever been. Yeah but it's only because of that death that I experienced. And my relationship with church now is far more vibrant than it's ever been, but it's only because of that death. And I remember to your point when I had first started deconstructing and I was like, I I couldn't even look at the Bible. Like it literally made me sick. And I remember going to a church service one Sunday and hearing good, good father. And I, I physically felt like I was going to heave because Mm -hmm. it was so repulsive to me. And I remember people being very concerned by me expressing that repulsion because they took that to mean that I was like repulsed by God or the Holy Spirit or whatever. But the rea- and and that I would always feel that way about church and the Bible. But the reality is, is that it was just a, it's just a process. And when yeah. I think about like now, like the Bible that I have, that I've been, I'm just like learning so much right now through this tra- translation. 
Yeah. And realizing like, oh, my relationship with the Bible now could only be that way because I always have the freedom. I always have the freedom to walk away, a freedom that I didn't have before. And it's this realization that God's gifts to us, the most important things like church and community and um, the Bible and even like worship and the Holy Spirit and everything, all of that is under the banner of love. None of that is under the banner of fear or control or manipulation. And so the Mm. minute that like, you know, maybe you have fear around like your friends who are saying like, I can't even like read the Bible. I feel nauseated by it. You I hope that you feel encouraged to know that those people will not always be in that season. And it's not to say that they are going to end up like you, or, and it's not to say that they're going to end up exactly where you want them to end up, but people are allowed to be grieved and to let things die when those things have been used to harm them. Mm, And it is not your job or your responsibility to get them in as quick as possible. And you don't have to operate out of fear because God's not afraid. God is not afraid for them. God loves them. And just like with, I I always come back to the prodigal story, like, just like the older brother who was sitting there doing all of the right things we see at the end of the story, he did not have a grasp on the heart of his father. He didn't, even though he was doing all the right things. And so at the end of the day, God, I think, I I think God is so after connectedness with us. And so after our, our knowingness of being his beloved children that those rituals while so important and I ascribe to them, like I, I am a very ritual person when it comes to my spiritual walk, Yeah. but those things have to come from a place of me knowing that I'm loved no matter what. Mm. And then That's all good. of that stuff is like, is operating out of like an overflow of that where like, I, I like read, I journal, I do like all of the Christian things truly. Like I'm back to like being like straight up, like a Christian, like when I was 18, but it's such a different place that it feels like something entirely different. And so, yeah. So to your point with all that stuff, like, I I don't want it to sound at all. Like I'm saying like church doesn't matter or, or, you know, reading your Bible doesn't matter or whatever. And I also don't want to say that you have to be doing those things because when you were deconstructing, sometimes you were holding on for dear life. And I want to be the first to tell you, put the Bible in the bottom drawer if you need to. Yes. It's I like love that. Thing, but it's both, it's both and. <laughs> but I love that because God, yes, God gave us his word. He gave us his word. He is the word. We don't need the physical word to have the word. We don't need it. If we need a minute away from the book, he's still there. It's okay. And you know what? I love the metaphor you just gave was so good because literally what kept coming to my mind was like, we talked about covenant marriage. There are times I'm going to be very honest here. I'm, you know, we're coming up on 10 years in my marriage and I'm telling you like there have been seasons, not just days, seasons where my husband has not liked me and I have not liked him. Like, truly just been like, really don't want to hang out with you right now. Want to do my own thing. Or, you know, you're really irritating to me right now. Like this season, this is not like the old wineskins aren't working. They're not working. We're doing the same things. And like you said, the ritual, but that doesn't mean we'd stop having dinner. It doesn't mean we live in different houses. It doesn't mean that we stop going on dates. We just didn't. Sometimes the things that normally work don't work in that season. And you have to figure out 
something new. You've got to freshen it up because it's a relationship. Relationships will evolve. You will evolve. You will change. That person will change. I just think that is such a, a perfect metaphor for this ongoing tug of war of like, I love you. I know you love me. I know there's this like love thing going on. I know that I didn't like, I, I have limits. I hear you have no limits. So if you have no limits, then my limitations won't bother you and they don't bother you. So when I'm limited emotionally, when I'm limited mentally, when I'm limited with what I have capacity for ritual wise in my life, you're not bothered by that because you understand my limitations. You've been there. So I'm going to have to just like sit with that and let you come 90 or even a hundred some days. And that's what I'm waiting on is like, God, I need to experience you a hundred percent for me to start inching back one, two, three, four, five percent, you know, to get closer because right now I feel I, I'm depleted. I'm at a zero. So I need you to like come back in and, and come find me because you're not limited and it doesn't bother you and you see everything and you, you understand this. When we start the process of reconstruction and we start discovering all of these things, what would you say to the person who's like, I don't see it though? What, what would you say to the person who doesn't come to the same conclusion? Because I, th- I know a lot of people where at Cause you know, when I was going through it, you find communities of, it's amazing. The people that come out of the woodwork that are like, oh my gosh, I'm deconstructing too. Oh my gosh, I feel the same way. Oh my gosh, I left there too. Like, you know, you meet a lot of people and you hear a lot of stories and you're right. You can end up in very different places and very different conclusions. And you know, what would you say to the people that are like, I just, I'm not finding that to be true. I'm not finding my way back or what what is reconstruction? What, what is the value in that? Um, what would you say? I know that's a really tough question. Take your time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is tough, but it isn't, it, it is tough in some ways. The ways that it's tough is, it is difficult to disagree with people in general, whether it's about something as important as your religion or politics I mean, the last five years, like anyone who has gone to a Thanksgiving table, everyone knows what that tension is like to disagree with people that you love. Yeah. Um, so there is just a natural tension and a tolerance that I think we need to grow for disagreeing with people we love. Mm-hmm. And we are very in, intolerant towards that tension. I found, so um, I'm even in, I, I've found that in my own life, it's difficult for me when I am so passionate about something for someone to be passionate in a different direction. So mm-hmm. that's, that's just part of life. And it's part of being able to have relationships with people that we love. It means that we're not going to all agree on everything and we mm-hmm. still need to learn how to love each other. So that's the yeah. kind of like a blanket part. Yeah. I have friends who have deconstructed that actually do not, uh, wouldn't even call themselves Christians anymore. Right. And uh, part of my deconstruction has led me to embrace the the church tenant that I talked about, which was yeah. that I trust God in you. So when I feel afraid or frustrated or annoyed by those people yeah. and their conclusions, I repeat to myself, 
I trust God in you, meaning I trust that the Holy Spirit loves you a million times more than I could ever even imagine. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And my job is not to come in and commandeer that work. My job is to align with the Holy Spirit's work in that person's life in love and without my ego getting involved. And so many times, like I found people, you know, use that Ephesians passage, just speaking the truth in love. And I often want to get below that for people though, and say like, Mm -hmm. well, is this, is this truly love to you and from you? Or is this you being uncomfortable with us, with another person's conclusion and, and feeling the need to control what they're doing? And so what that love is going to look like, I have no idea. But for me, when it comes to like saying what people, uh, what I would say to people who have landed in a different space is what Todd told me when that night in Italy, when I was like, I don't think I believe in any of this instantly. He said, and guess what? I love you anyways. Oh, and guess what? I love chills. Yes. It was That's beautiful. Exactly what I needed to hear. And it gave me so much space in relational safety And so for me, for people who are in my life, who have landed in different spaces, just constantly reminding them, I love you anyways. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care if we disagree about the doctrine of whatever atonement or inerrancy or how like big, meaningful things. It doesn't matter that we don't agree because at the end of the day, I love you anyways. Yes. Oh, that's that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. I needed to hear that because you know, the thing that I've had to wrestle with personally after going through reconstruction, I've had a lot of really, really intense, like very alive, I would call them miraculous experiences with the Lord. Like where it's been one of those things where I'm like, this has, this is the marker of my life. I look back on that and that is a monument. That is the, that's where everything shifted. That's where everything became cement in the sand. And I'm like, I can never deny that experience because it was so real. So I can never deny the existence of God because I actually met the man. I met him. I met Jesus. And so for me, the thing I struggle with is I'm like, it's because I'm in covenant. It's, it's for me, it's so hard to, when someone has gone through something I've been through, but then I've met the man, Jesus. And then I'm like, but it's like you, you have my husband standing right here. You don't see him. Like he's here though. Like, how do you deny the existence of someone that I've actually met? Like, how do you do that? You know, be like someone like saying like, you don't have a brother. Well, yes, I do. I grew up with him. He's right here. You, you may not live in the same state as him, but I swear he's alive. Like he's alive. I'll give you his birth certificate. Like it's, it's here. You know, that's how it can feel. I have to come to the place where my experience, I don't start projecting my experience on other people. Because the hard thing is I was challenged by my mentor actually one time when I shared this um, throughout when I was wrestling, I had a mentor during the time who was an older man. Isn't that so funny? Oh, so I love older men. They're so sweet old sages. Um, You got a little gray hair. God gave you some wisdom. That's awesome. But um, he was so monumental in the midst of this era for me. And one of the things he challenged me on and actually like I got red in the face when he called me out on it. He said, uh, how arrogant of you, how incredibly arrogant that you would think that because you have experienced that, that somebody else who has not had that experience 
should just, you know, accept that as reality when they've never experienced that. I'm like, wow, how incredibly true. Like that is, so, it's a pride. It's our ego where we're like, well, I know them this, like I've experienced this. And while that's God's mercy to me, and it was such a, a love note and so kind of him to allow me to have that experience. That's exactly why it's called a miracle because not everybody experiences them all the time. Like, and I can't project that experience onto other people. And so for the people that have experienced the Lord like that and have had really, really vivid moments and markers like that, that's for you. Because I was one of those people that I'm like, but I don't understand. He's so real, you know? So that's really encouraging that you said, you know, we can just, just love them. And I love what your husband said, because I feel like that's exactly what Jesus would say. And I love you anyway. I still love you. doesn't matter. That's so cool. That's yeah, it was so a really powerful. formative, it was a very formative experience. And I agree that is uh, wow. the best thing that we can do for one yeah. another. Did he walk with you through that as well? I assume. Yeah. You know, and he then really now he's deconstructing. So I get I to do the I love that. Five I years later, that. I was like, I get to do wow. this now. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like, I thought it's so cool when it's, especially in a marriage, when it's like at different times. Because then you get a different perspective. Now you have kind of sorted through some things, some tied up some loose ends, and you're like, okay, I feel pretty good right now. Um, reintegrating back into culture. How was that? Like, did you, did it feel seamless or did it feel like you had to like almost like have a reintroduction, like almost like an inaugural moment of like, I'm walking back into a church. Like I'm a walking back. Yeah, you know, like a, coming of age, like I'm just, it's my turn now, you know, like how did that look for you? Did you like, did you go to a new church? Did you find somewhere, did everything change in your life or did you go back to I mean, kind of the place that you were connected to before? How did that look for you? Cause it's different no, for everyone. I did, not, I did not go back to the place where I was connected before. It sort of just was natural to me. Todd was on tour at the time. And it was just like this Friday night, I was folding laundry and I sort of just felt like God was like, Hey, like, what have you tried, tried a church? And I was like, okay. And I just like kind of Googled which churches were close to me and picked one that I had a menu and just went there. And my expectation of church had changed so much at that point though, because throughout my deconstruction, I had started this life group at my house on Sundays of other people. And so, and that still is going to this day. So it's been many years and that has become like my community and my church. And I, I think of church now as people way more than place. So my expectation of like church services is so different. So yeah, like we just ended up at this random, like there's nothing special about like, it's just a normal church, but our expectations of it are so different than what it was before. Yeah. yeah. So that was my, my debutante reentry back into. Society. I love it. I love it. Ours was pretty big too. Cause we did, uh, we hosted house church when we started, like we had to strip everything down and we we're like, we'll just have some people over and figure out what church looks like. Like what did the original church look like? Because I feel like we're so far from it. So we were like, let's just start at the beginning, figure out kind of like look at scripture and be like, okay, what original church look like? Let's try to do that. Did that for like a year and a half. And then similarly, we, we weren't sure about going back to the same old place, but 
once I felt healed in a way, like things had healed, we did go back to the same church. And that's not for everybody. That is not for everybody. But for us, I felt like the Lord was like, hey, I just want you to go back. And I think the only, not to like attend for very long, but really I think the Lord was healing something in my perspective because you're right. It was like, this building is a building. It's not, the building's not broken. God can use any place. There are broken people in every place and no place is going to be perfect because there's so many broken people. I'm sober. I was so broken. Like when, you know, I've probably broken other people along the way. Like we're all just really, really broken trying to figure it out. And this is a hub. And so when you get any, you know, amount of people, the percentages of broken people are still the same in any amount group of people. Usually the ratio is going to be about the same. So we went back, God healed something. And I honestly, like when he told me we were going to be back there for a season, I was pissed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. He literally told me and my husband the same day, the exact same word. We were, he was in the car and I was in a building and came out and said, the Lord just spoke to me. What do you say to you? What do you say to you? And I'm like, he said, we're going to be here for a season. He said, said the same thing to me. We we're both pissed about it. So we were there for God. That season was very short. He actually meant like an actual, like, like fall winter seat, like an actual season. I thought it was gonna be longer. So I was like freaking out. So we were there for a short season and then found this other place. But it's interesting when we did go try out another place, I did actually have like a checklist. I, which before I had never had one before, but there were certain things and it looks so different than what I cared about before. What I cared about before was like great music, you know, super fun kids club and like all this, like just different. And now I'm like, okay, there are certain hills now that I will die on because I've gone to the bottom of that hill and I've climbed all the way to the top and I'm going to die on this hill because now I know what I believe. So I, honestly and tell me if you think this too i recommend deconstruction to everyone i think it's vital for your spiritual health what what do you think about that you know do you think it's for everyone i love the checklist thing first of all so i love that you <laughs> <have the checklist>. <laughs> <laughs> like here's i'm you- also an eight my husband's a three so we kind of empower each other to do those things it's a problem i love that i love that so much <laughs> I recommend deconstruction in that if it's happening to you, just embrace it. So Mm. I think that there's something that's interesting um, about deconstruction that I heard someone say, I can't remember now, but it's not something that you do. It's something that happens to you. Mm. And, And I think that for people who are already deconstructing, I hope that you just feel super normalized and let, I hope you feel permission to keep walking on your path and walking on your journey and know that there's life on the other side of it. And for people who maybe don't have questions, like you were saying earlier, if you're good with where you are, live your life. Yes. Obviously don't ignore blatant injustices happening. Like if you, if you're a pastor, for example, like what I was saying about sexual abuse, if they sexually abuse someone and you don't see a problem with that, that is something that you can listen to and like ask questions about and whatever. But in general, if you're just like walking and you don't have these massive questions about like the book of revelation or what job means. Keep living your life and know that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. So not yes. everyone needs to have a wrecking ball moment like what I did. Yes. I don't think that everyone needs that. But I do think that part of being in relationship with God is growth, is change, and is is being made into the image of God. And it's that shaving away. So to me, if you haven't changed your mind about God since eighth grade, 
Um, to me, that might show signs of stagnation where mm. I think that maybe you could start asking some, some deeper questions because, yeah. um, the God that you were given in eighth grade, um, has some growing up to do. There's yes. some maturity involved. And so I think that there is so a, a fluidity of deconstruction where people hear deconstruction and they see the people on TikTok who are like wrecking ball, Enneagram eight. Uh huh. It's falling apart, which I love. Those are my favorite people. Yeah. But that is not what everyone's deconstruction looks like. Yeah. For some people, it's just like a recognition of like, oh, huh. I always read that verse to be this one way, but then someone else just showed me this different interpretation, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it can be something that small. Yes, I love that. And when yes. you see a wrecking, but there are you're right. There are wrecking ball people that are going through deconstruction, and they have so much incredible deep hurt, and it is like just me. tear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was I get a it. wrecking ball. I was and a that's okay. Yes. And that's okay. It's okay to be a wrecking ball for a minute. Saul was a wrecking ball. Saul to Paul, he was a freaking wrecking ball. He was angry. He was pissed. He was deconstructing his faith. He was deconstructing the rituals and the, the religiosity of his day. He was deconstructing that. And then all of a sudden, the Lord just went, you need a reconstruction moment. It's time to reconstruct. You've been destructing and destroying for too long. And I feel like, tell me if you agree with the statement. I've heard this a lot recently and a lot during my time and I've clung to it. And I think there's some validity, validity to it. Would you agree with the statement that says deconstruction without reconstruction is just destruction? I have mixed feelings about that. I hear you. I want, that's why I wanted to ask you because I do too. And I, I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Because so, that can be really hurtful to people going through deconstruction and really pushy. And when it, you're on the other side, I can see it. I'm like, okay, I, I see you on this side. But to people going through it, that can be really, really tough and harmful. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? And someone who would say deconstruction without reconstruction is just, just destruction someone who is saying that is coming from within the system mm -hmm. and there's no judgment there. You're allowed to come from within the system. Yep. And someone who is saying that has either not experienced the death or has forgotten how painful the dying is. Yes. Because when you are in deconstruction, the only thing you need to be reminded of is the oxygen in your lungs, which is that God loves you and God is for you and God is with you. And I love you too. Like I, as yeah. your community, love you too. So to me, that kind of puts like a, a, a timestamp on someone's yes. deconstruction mm -hmm. thing. Like it, if you don't get here, you're not you okay. Yeah. You're destructive. Yeah. I remember someone yes. saying that to me, um, after like, maybe like, this has been like a year ago and, yeah. and they were like, yeah, well, I know you deconstructed, but you fared well. And I pushed back mm -hmm. and I was like, what does that mean? Because I landed in a place that, that you're comfortable mm -hmm. with in, mm -hmm. in just pushing back against that and recognizing that God works in a myriad of ways. So yeah. like, yes, is deconstruction without reconstruction? I actually need to think about that because I don't even think I agree with it yeah. from even within the system. Sure. But I do think I get the heart behind it, which is yeah. that I don't want you to always be in turmoil. 
Yeah. I don't want you to always feel this way. I want you to experience the love of God. Like I experienced love of God. I just think that the messaging around that could be a lot better. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. And you know what, when someone says like, I can see how I, I could see how somebody would say like you fared well, because I would, I look at you that way. Like I told you that I think, I think you, you went from what I saw, how you went through it looked yes, difficult. Like I'm not disregarding the difficulty, but I feel like you did it in a healthy way. And the fact that you still had compassion for all people. And I think the place you get into an unhealthy, really scary place is when you start to hate people and harm people from your hurt. That's, that's the place that can be really harmful. And that's the place where I'm like, man, it's so hard because you, but I get it. I still get that. I still get the, de the destructive era because I know that when you're like, you just, you feel like you're in a room full of glass and you just want to take a hammer and just go, ah, and just like break everything because you're like, I want it all down because it hurts so bad to look yeah. at all of these mirrors and to look at all of these through all these windows and see all of these things that are so harmful and hurtful to me. So I understand that place, but at the same time, i also understand the place of like, but you can't stand in broken glass forever. You can't stand, you can't live there. No one can live in a room of broken glass. Right. You right. Know, you and can't I lay on the floor. Right. You can never rest in a room of broken glass. It's like a I think it goes back to the posturing, like from, if you're on the outside, how can you in empathy stand with someone in their room of broken glass and yeah. instead of feeling like it's your job to pull them out how yeah. do you get in there with them yes and how do you show solidarity with them in their suffering and in their pain and in their anger and their yeah. questions yeah. and and recognize that it's not your job to put the pieces back together for someone oh. they're oh. the only ones who can do that for themselves um, and I isn't that what Jesus did though, but that's Jesus, because if we're going to be Jesus to people, what would Jesus do in that scenario? I'm picturing a person in a, in a, just an empty, like garage full of broken glass and they're standing in the middle and there's no open floor. It's just glass everywhere. Well, yeah, there, it may not look like the room for somebody, but what would Jesus do? He walked on the broken glass and bled all the way to them, all the way to them. And he didn't tell them they were terrible. He didn't shame them. He didn't condemn them. He just walked over and said, Hey, I walked over here to be with you. That's essentially the, the cross. Essentially the cross is because when he died on the cross and he bled for us and he took all that pain for us and met us where we were when he didn't have to, he did it for the guard who was nailing him into the cross just as much as he did for his friends that were sitting there grieving just as much. So I think that's something we need to remember as people who have reconstructed and people who have not even been through the deconstruction process yet is that we need to learn and dive deeper into what it means to actually be Jesus to people, to actually sit in pain, to actually bleed, allow ourselves to be uncomfortable, get cut and bleed out for other people at the risk of our own comfort, because that's what Jesus did in order for them to feel the love of Christ and the love of, of our love. Yeah. At the risk of our own comfort. Yeah. Growing a tolerance for, yeah. for the discomfort. Yeah. Mm. It's really key.
That's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. It's so challenging, but it's so good. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story of deconstruction and reconstruction and just being so honest. Um, guys, go check out her page. What's your Instagram handle? Tell the people. Honestly, do you know what's sad? I don't know. Hold on. Ah, I think it's at, isn't it just it's at Savannah, Savannah underscore lock. There you go. Savannah underscore lock. Go check her out. Check out her stuff. She's written. She writes a lot of beautiful pieces on faith and deconstruction, reconstruction, and just asking really, really great questions. It's a great place to explore and just have dialogue about what you believe. I think that's a really, really good, safe community to offer to people. Um, and I'm sure she can point you other places if you have questions. But thank you, Savannah, for joining us. I have just two more questions. One is if you could offer to those people who maybe not have given up on God, maybe they're like, okay, I'm still in the like this idea of God and I know I want him, but I'm in this place of hurt. Is there a scripture or an encouraging quote or something that you feel like would be really helpful to encourage them in that? Okay. Yes. It's actually a whole book recommendation awesome. that I have. And I'm just going to read a quote from it. So Henry Nowen was this Catholic priest and he wrote this book called The Return of a Prodigal Son. Mm. So brilliant in every way. So this is kind of long, but this is the quote that grounded my faith for a long time. Love it. For most of my life, I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I have tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life. Pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God was trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. So the question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, mm. the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me and longing to bring me home. Mm. I love that. Mm, such a good quote. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that is, is so beautiful. That is awesome. Hope that's encouraging for those of you walking through that. Savannah, the last question that we ask everybody is if you could pick one person where you would steal a piece of their hope and walk in their shoes for a little bit, who is like a hope hero to you in your life, dead or alive, anyone? This is so Enneagram for it. And I'm trying to get out of that space now because I'm like, why am I thinking about this person who's dying right now? Okay. So this is, okay. I, I will say anyone who is on their deathbed and not afraid of dying. So he, mm. Michael Heiser is the name of this theologian who did like a lot of work on the divine council. Anyways, he just posted yesterday that he like is in his last like five days of wow. living because he has like stage four cancer. Mm. So he like wrote this insane, like 10 paragraph thing on his social media, basically saying like, I'm blessing you to continue this work. Wow. And him saying like, I'm not afraid of what's to come because I know that I'm going to be in paradise and I know I'm going to see you all there with me. And those people who are like my faith heroes, like, like whether they're theologians or scholars, I love reading the last works that they've done before they died because wow. I see the hope that they have that this is not all that there is and that there's something else that's coming. So those are my hope heroes. I guess right now it's Michael Heiser, but it's been I so much 
in that phase. Oh, that's incredible though. That's a really great perspective. Look mm -hmm. to someone who's not afraid of death. I think that, man, I've never had that perspective before. That really is like a huge testament to hope because I think that's like, what's the scariest thing in life? Death. Nice. There you go. Yeah. That's to every, most people. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to ask you, feel free to ixnay it because this is totally off the cuff but because we talked about you know as somebody who has been through and is reconstructed and has a really strong faith right now would we talk about praying for people who are in the trenches who are hurting who are grieving would you be willing to pray for those people yeah, who are in that season sure, right now yeah. all right let's do it you're like feel free to feel free yeah. to not pray hey, i know i put i put people on the spot all the time but i didn't warn you about that no i love that thank you okay um, father, I thank you so much that you love all of your children, no matter where they are and that you love them in spite of where they are. And you love them because of where they are and that you're with them every step of the way. I think about the youngest son who ran off and spent all of his money and partied and had sex and wasted all of his talents and his gifts and found himself eating the slop of pigs you were with him the entire time. And I think of the eldest son who did everything right and who um, worked for his dad's business and prayed and did everything um, in the way that he was grown up taught that it was supposed to go. And you were with him the entire time. And so right now, whoever is listening to this, whether they find themselves in the shoes of the youngest son or the oldest son or someone in between, I pray that they can sense your Holy Spirit with them, um, enveloping them, being proud of them, loving them, and I pray that it draws them to their senses so that they are grown into their identity of being loved by you and chosen by you and cherished by you. Mm -hmm. um, and I pray that you would um, show yourself as real today, um, whether people are running and listening to this or doing dishes or whether their kids are crying in the background. I pray that you would show up and be present in their lives. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, guys, we will be back next week with another episode of Hope in the I hope this episode gave you a clearer picture into what deconstruction can look like. While some of us might be learning this term for the first time, this process has been utilized since the beginning of time, whether or not it was chosen or stumbled upon. I'm so thankful that Savannah welcomed us into such a sacred and personal space, just so many of us can feel seen and others of us can grow in understanding. Join me again next week to hear how we can make friends with rejection instead of living out of it. I'll see you here next week. Until then, don't lose hope.